This is Bumping Into Walls, a show about living with vision loss, the challenges, the successes, and the day-to-day walls we all bump into. Welcome to Bumping Into Walls. I'm Catherine McLeod, and with me in studio today is my co-host, Jesse Tregarson. Hello, Jesse. Hi, Kathy. And today we're going to be talking about something that most of us with vision loss know about, the CNIB. And we have a guest today who knows quite a bit about the CNIB and what its role is. And his name is Christopher Warner. Welcome to Bumping Into Walls, Christopher. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Uh-huh. And are you are you Kathy or Catherine? I uh, noticed you introduced yourself as Catherine. I screwed that up. You can you can call me whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> just don't call you for late for dinner. We've definitely called her worse. All right. <laughs> and just yeah, just look at me. Don't call me late for dinner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, and what kinds of things do you like to do at the CNIB? Christopher, Chris, or whatever you like to be called? Uh, You know, I tell people when I do presentations that you can call me Chris. My name is Christopher, but you can call me Chris, or you can even call me Hey You, and I'll probably still respond. Um, Yes. Um, What do I like to do? I do, so like I said, I do presentations. I talk on behalf of CNIB mostly... I, I like to call myself the mouthpiece because I'm out in the community. I'm talking at schools, seniors' homes, trade shows, wherever they send me, talking about CNIB, its services, and the things we do. And I always refer to the team back in the office because they're the ones who are amazing, and I'm just the mouthpiece that's out there to talk about them and promote them. Well, I think that you're probably a little bit more than that because uh, you need to make sure that the team is promoted and everyone knows about the team, but you also need to make sure that people know what the CNIB is, because I'll tell you that, and I'm sure that more people with vision loss are aware of this as well, because uh, when I first lost my eyesight and a friend took me to the CNIB or made an appointment with the CNIB, one, my daughter said to me, uh, Mom, why are you going to a new bank at a time like this. (laughs) So I'm sure that there are more people than my daughter who are kind of unaware of the CNIV. My grandparents. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. Um, And I joke about that as well. I, I, I I like to throw a lot of humor into my presentations, and you're absolutely right. One of the things I joke about is the fact that people hear the letters CNIB and they confuse us with the bank, CIBC. And it's more of a visual joke. You won't be able to hear see it on the radio, but I put one, ar- one out- arm out to my far left and I wiggle my fingers saying, here's CIBC over here with a lot of money. And then I w- put my right hand out and wiggle my fingers and say, and here's CNIB needing a whole lot more. <laughs> and, yes. you know, that sort of brings it into context for people and they start to get it. But one of the things, going to your point about people being aware of CNIB, one of the very first things I do is I ask, you know, just for my own curiosity, how many people in this room have heard about CNIB before I got here today? And, you know, I've been in rooms with 40 or 50 people and only two hands have gone up. I believe you. And every time I do that, I say, wow, there's my job security. Because as long as there's people that don't know who we are, and as long as, you know, less than 10% of the room knows who we are, They still need me and they still need us to, they need somebody out there making the public aware of who CNIB is and what we do. Well, I can tell you, uh, when my doctor told me that I had lost 
my vision, um, there was no mention of going to the CNIB for any kind of help. I mean, that was not in the conversation at all. And I think it should have been. It absolutely should have been part of the conversation. And so that's another thing that I talk about when I, especially when I'm in the seniors' homes, because as we know, you know, there's uh, macular degeneration, glaucoma, cataracts, and uh, diabetic retinopathy. Those four diseases are affecting a lot more seniors every day. And a lot of these seniors, two things happen. One, either they really don't know about us because maybe they're new to Canada, or the other thing that happens is they they know about CNIB, but they hear Institute for the Blind, and they think they have to be completely blind before they come see us. And so they either don't know to come to us themselves, or you're right, sometimes their doctors will say, you know, I think you're developing macular degeneration. And that's kind of where the conversation stops. They don't, the doctor doesn't say you should go see us, go see CNIB to get some help on how to live with this condition. And, and it's things as simple as how to get audiobooks. You're absolutely right. I mean, one, because that's one of the biggest laments that I get when I'm in the building, you know, because before doing public education, I was in the store, as you both know, and so I was talking to people about the products and the, and the things that we have there. And one of the things that people would often lament is that they can't enjoy a good story anymore because they can't read the print. So they can't read the book. So then I introduced them to, you know, Daisy Players and, and, um, and then we talk about Sela, the library, you know, for the, for the audiobooks, And that reopens that avenue for these people where they thought that they'd never be able to read a good story again. Now they can have the story read to them. Magnifiers is another thing that I would think that seniors need to begin with. Uh, it's not necessarily that they are blind or maybe even legally blind, that their vision is fading, so they need something to help them see a little bit better. And the CNIB can help them with that as well. Absolutely. And that's, you know, because a lot of these people, they're not completely blind or they're not even going completely blind. So they're going to have some form of usable eyesight, whether it's their periphery or wherever it is. So a lot of these people can benefit from a magnifying glass or something if they want to, and if they know to look for it, to know that it's there. Mm -hmm. These are people that sometimes it feels good to be able to let them know that life goes on after vision loss. That's actually kind of the message of our show, isn't it, Jesse? Yes, it it really is. Like we're trying to, you know, like the fact that we're even here, you know, can just speak to that if you are somebody who has lost your vision and think it's all over, you can follow your dreams, you know, whether that's, you know, going out and getting a job and whatever you wanted or finally picking up that instrument you want to learn or coming into a radio station and starting a radio show. And that's one of the reasons that I'm super happy to have you here, Christopher, is because that was kind of what got me into wanting to do a radio show about this, is because I went out to schools, uh, mostly schools, and worked with children. And in each school, I could go in and educate a classroom full of children who probably went home and told their parents and their friends and everyone else, because children are great for that. Um, and I realized that with this platform... I could potentially, or we could potentially educate a much broader audience from 
from just this one platform. And that really excited me to, to take all of the work that I'd been doing and, you know, that you do going around to, to different places and trying to educate people. And this was just another way to get the word out. And for me, it's meeting people on the bus on Calgary Transit half the time and having them asking me questions. Mm -hmm. And instead of answering them one person at a time, it's easier to do it on the radio. So what you're doing is the same sort of thing as what we're doing. You're going out in the community, though. So you're going out to the schools and to seniors' homes and everything else. And you're going out and doing it in front of audiences directly, though, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So you get to see the people that yeah. you're talking Where to. Where we have faces for radio, so we're here. <laughs> you're much cuter than we are. Well, you know, I always believed that I had a face for made for radio too. And I actually wanted to be in radio when I was back in school, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I love being out in the community for exactly those reasons. I love being out there because the kids absorb it and learn it and take it home to their parents, grandparents, or whomever. But also the seniors, like I said, they either think that they can't come to us because they're not blind yet, you know, even though they're losing their vision, or um, some of them just don't even know what we can do for them, right? So I get a chance to talk to them about those things and, and what we get to do in, what we can do for them to help them and show them, just like this show does, that life goes on, right? And if you've got the right tools at your disposal and you've got the right things, you know, available to you, then you can you can have a very productive life if you want it. And that's another thing that I'm a, a really big fan of is just letting people know that don't stop and, and keep yourself in a room somewhere and, and go, oh, okay, you know, I've lost my sight. I guess it's over. I'm done. And, you know, I'm just going to sit here and wait to die. That might be a little overdramatic, but. I don't think it necessarily is. I think that sometimes that does happen. Uh, it it's, depends on the attitude of the person, but I think that there are people that are like that. And yet I've met other seniors that are just incredibly buoyant and just out there to do something. And it's amazing what some of them are capable of doing and ready to do. And just, just out there ready to participate in the world and just so full of energy. And I think what you do makes a big, a really big difference because I've always been this way. So I didn't really think about what it was like for somebody to lose their sight. Okay. So when you go into the schools and you're talking to the teenagers, for instance, what kind of message are you talking to them about? Usually when I'm in a high school, I'm talking about two different things. Um, I am talking about how there are, you know, ways that, ways and means that life can go on, even if you start to lose your vision, because some of the, you know, at, at the young age like that in high school, you think, fig- you think you're pretty indestructible, right? You figure, yes. you figure that you're immortal at that point. Um, so it, it, I'm letting them know that if it were to happen to you later life or whenever it happens, that there are ways and means that you can still have a productive life. The other thing I do when I'm in high schools, particularly is a lot of the high schools these days, they have to get a certain amount of volunteer hours to complete their high school programs or some of their programs. So it's an opportunity to talk to them about volunteering for CNIB and raising raising awareness, but also increasing our volunteer base potentially, uh, making them aware of who we are and what we do so that, you know, maybe they've got a relative 
who is losing their sight. And then it becomes a personal mission for them that they come and volunteer for us because they know somebody with vision loss and they get to feel more involved in that person's life, but also in the life of other people with vision loss. Well, that's a really good idea because certainly when you're applying for a university, um, any kind of um, volunteering is something that looks good on your application. Absolutely. I've heard employers tell, you know, when they're, when they're talking to groups of students and whatever, I've heard employers say that if they don't see some form of volunteering on your resume, they don't even look at your resume. Yes. Like it's getting to be that much of a thing that everybody should be doing as far as volunteering, finding a way to volunteer in your community. So it's, uh, I, I applaud those employers for looking at it that way, that they want to see that because then they know that that person's also grounded and, and knows how to give back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, um, one of the things that I see at CNIB, and I love that they do this, is we get approached by corporations who will bring an entire team either to tend to our sensory garden that we have outside of the CNIB Cal- Calgary office, uh, or some of them just, there was one that I went to last year where they were calling it the volunteer week, and they were encouraging all of their staff to do something volunteer for that week. And so they set up a mini trade show of all of these different volunteer opportunities that the staff could get involved in, that they could go around and see what kind of opportunities were there, and then they could sign up. And it was usually something in a group activity, like our garden, but it gave these, it did two things. It gave these organizations a lot of exposure as far as these volunteer opportunities being out there, but it also gave, you know, partly nudged by their the company, their employer that they were working for, it gave them that incentive to get out there and do something in the community and, you know, choose something that was, that appealed to them. Because that's the other thing about volunteering. I, I've been volunteering in different ways since I was 17 years old, and I'm not going to tell you how old I am now, but it's been a while. The, the thing about it is that you can always find somewhere to volunteer if you want to. Just make sure it's something that interests you. I'll be very honest with you. I don't necessarily want to volunteer at a soup kitchen. Forgive me for saying that out loud, but it's not something that appeals to me. But I will find many other ways to volunteer that Mm -hmm. will appeal. And because it appeals, I'll keep going back. And I've been certainly volunteering. I've been volunteering since I was 14. (laughs) Not to be competitive, but... (laughs) She was an overachiever compared to me, that's all. (laughs) Yes, actually, yes. I've always been that way. And actually, I met... Jesse, and he doesn't even remember, but I met him actually at the CNIB uh, when we were both starting to volunteer at the CNIB. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We were there at the meet and greet or whatever that was being held for the volunteer night to the well, volunteer like, orientation. Volunteer night. orientation, or as I like to call it, the night. When I got to blindfold somebody and guide them around the CNIB. <laughs> As if we weren't blind enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Push them down the stairs. <laughs> that's another no, I thing. Won't I say that. <laughs> that's another thing I like doing just for fun. Um, pushing people down the no, stairs? No, <laughs> not pushing down the stairs, Smarty. I will, when I'm doing a presentation, I often talk about sighted guide, right? And how to guide somebody properly, you know, putting out an arm and, and letting them take your elbow and that sort of thing. 
And I always give, I'll ask for a volunteer and then I'll always give them the choice. Do you want to be the vision, the vision impaired person or do you want to be the sighted person? And sometimes they say, well, I'll be the vision impaired person. I'm like, yay, I get to play sighted. Watch me go. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. Actually, we had to do that. Um, We had to do both. We had to be the sighted guide and the vision impaired person. And I don't know which was scarier. (laughs) 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 Having to to guide someone or be be guided guided by someone who was even more visually impaired. And it is quite the... Quite the skill as a blind person to the, to go and guide somebody, whether you're doing it in a volunteer setting or whether you are actually guiding a blind friend of yours. It is, you know, it's different um, for sure. So I learned a lot just personally from that. But I think sighted guide is a very important thing. And I'm glad that you're educating people because that is definitely something that people have an opportunity potentially to do a lot in public is approach a blind person and ask whether they need help and respect their yes or no and then properly guide them if their answer is yes please I could use some help uh, is probably your biggest opportunity as a sighted person out the community when you see a blind person that's probably what the interaction is going to look like so that's why I think that's such that's such a big thing we're, we're gradually one person at a time, I think, teaching people to ask if a blind person needs help and ask how they need help. This is Bumping Into Walls on CJSW 90.9 FM. So do you have any interesting stories to tell us about things that have happened while you're out in the field or... I do want to tell you, actually, one of the things, because we did touch on this a little bit earlier, one of my favorite things to do when I do this job is going out to schools. I love going out to the schools, but I love going particularly to talk to grade one kids because grade one kids are, so they're about five or six years old and they're, they're at that stage in their school curriculum when they're just learning about the five senses. So the teachers awfully often contact me asking me to come in so that they can uh, talk about not just eyesight, but also what happens when you lose your eyesight. And the biggest thing that I find with these little kids is I don't even have to go in with a whole presentation prepared. All I got to do is kind of get them started. And then they've got so many stories for me and so many things they want to share with me. And then the questions that they ask that we can eat up 45 minutes to an hour just based on their questions. And I love that because they're so inquisitive and they want to know and they and they need to know this stuff. Recently, I was in a school and um, a young boy asked me. He said, "Well, you know, how do you how do you match up your clothes in the morning?" And I said, "Well, you know, not so much now." I said, "It's easier for me now because I wear a lot of this, you know, just dark pants and and a shirt." I said, "But in my previous job, when I had to wear suits, what I would do is I would put a button." on my suit, a button on my shirt, and a button on my tie, and I'd match up the buttons, and that's how I stayed coordinated, so that that outfit was always the same. And they're like, oh, okay, so they accepted that story. But then a little girl raised her hand after that, and she's like, okay, but how do you get dressed? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's lovely. And I let that sink in for a second, and I said, well, just like you, I said, I take a pair of socks, and I take a the two socks and I put one on one foot and I put one on the other foot and then I put on my my pants and, and the rest of my clothes and she's like oh 
Okay. But she needed to know. She needed to ask. That's wonderful. It's it's just part of the fun. I never know what the questions are going to be. I never know what they're going to ask me, and I never know which mm-hmm. way they're going to take the conversation. Uh, but I do want to share one. I just recently had another one, too, that was a lot of fun. It was actually a grade four class that had come for a tour of our building. And so we did a little tour, and then I talked to them afterwards. And But the... As I was in the presentation and I was talking to them about eyesight and that sort of thing, this one little boy, he was this grade four kid, and this one little boy put up his hand and he says, he said, I have myopia. He said, and my doctor gave my mom a really long explanation with lots of long and complicated words. He said, can you put it in kid terms for me? <laughs> and I said, I can absolutely do that. And I gave him an explanation for myopia in the simplest terms I could. You know, that you know, up close he can see things like his iPad and his iPhone and, and that sort of thing. I said, but the stuff, when he sits in that same spot and he looks off in the distance, it's kind of blurry. I said, does that does that sound like what you experienced? Does that sound like your world? And he said, yeah. He said, and thank you for that. I get it now. Oh, mm-hmm. that's that's great. That's all he wanted to know. That's what he needed mm-hmm. at that time, in that moment. He just mm-hmm. needed a little bit of a simpler explanation, as he called it, in kid terms to know what his vision was doing or why. And I was able to do that for him. And that's the kind of the thing, the kind of thing that I love in my job. I love, I love being out talking to these kids and I love talking to the seniors because sometimes the seniors also say, because I tell them, I do share with them that, you know, I have been a client and I lost my sight and, and now I've had to adjust. And, and then some of the seniors will come up to me afterwards and they'll say, you know what? It's so nice to hear from somebody who, gets it. Well, I think the worst thing for me was, um, I remember someone telling me they had gone to their mother's house and they were complaining. She had macular degeneration and they were absolutely furious because she had three pairs of sunglasses. And they said, you know, why? And I said, I can tell you exactly why. Because she can't find them half the time, so she just gets another pair. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, get over it. I said, I have the same problem. And if I can't find one pair, I have the other pair. And let her handle her own system. Don't expect her to bend to your rules. And I spend a lot of time sometimes explaining to these fully visual people why someone with low vision or no vision does things. And sometimes people with low vision or no vision have made up their own little rules or their own little shortcuts. And it really is annoying when someone with full vision is trying to get this person to bend to a fully sighted Mm -hmm. world. And even somebody with with low vision or no vision, because different people, like you said, have different rules and different ways of doing stuff. You know, I remember being a, a young kid starting volunteering at the CNIB. And like I said, I would get I would do phone survey work and get on the phone with people who would talk, genuinely think that there was no life for them. You know, I've lost my sight. I don't know where to go from here. And I'd be like, oh, it's easy. There's this iPhone app and this device oh. and this thing that does this. And they'd say, I'm 90 years old. I have no interest in learning that stuff. Exactly. So I had to quickly realize 
you know, and I've had friends like, oh, you should just get an iPhone and do this. And I, you know, and then that ends up just not being what they need. And so I had to learn also that each person finds different ways of, of, of coping and that, you know, just because something works for me, it doesn't mean it's going to work for someone else. It's exactly like me saying, why don't you get a slate and stylus and learn how to do that, Jesse? Oh, gosh, I'm never going back to that. <laughs> exactly. Like it works for me, but it doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. No, it's absolutely true. And, and you know, to that end, I, recently a friend of mine called me and she said that one of her coworkers was recently diagnosed with um, UV-itis. Um, it's an eye condition that, you know, is, well, I had, I had heard about it, but I didn't know a lot about it. So I had and to do I a little research. I know nothing about it. Um, I, I'm not going to give you the clinical definition that I read about, but I went and I'd read up a little bit, but I also went to our low vision specialist at, uh, at CNIB in Calgary because she, she's a trained ophthalmologist. She yes. knows a lot. Yes, she and, yeah. you know, but, but before I got there, before I went to ask her for the information, um, my, my friend who was, you know, trying to get me to help her coworker said very similar to what you just said. She said, oh, well, you know, you, you should talk to her, you know, you can tell her about the iPhone apps and you can tell her about magnifiers and you can tell her about all of these things. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I said, first things first, she needs to just swallow the fact that she's just been given the diagnosis of this condition and find, and she's got her own fears about that condition because one of, one of the things that she read and I it drives me crazy when people do this. They get a diagnosis of something. So she got this diagnosis of uveitis and she went and consulted with Dr. Google. Oh no. And Dr. Google tends to lay out everything and sometimes lays out the worst case scenarios. And one of the worst case scenarios that Dr. Google said was it can cause blindness. So now this woman is freaking out thinking that she's going to go blind and they, you know, so my friend is like, well, you can talk to her about iPhone apps and, and magnifiers and, and slate and stylus and all of these things, all of these tools that you can, that she can use. I'm like, no, 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 hang on. She needs to accept the fact that she's got a condition first and then we'll worry about those other things later. She hasn't even come to terms with the fact that she's got this diagnosis. I said, but before we even get there, let me go and talk to the people I know, like our low vision specialist. And I said, let me go find a little, a little bit more about this disease. So I went and I talked to uh, the low vision specialist. I asked her about it and, and I asked her about the possibility of going blind. And she said, yes, that's possible in regions where access to a doctor is not, you know, might not be for months. She said, but in a place like Canada where you can get to an eye doctor probably within a week, she said, it's extremely unlikely that she'll lose her sight. So I took that information, gave it to my friend, gave it to, who gave it to her coworker and you know, I, I did, I sort of got linked directly to the coworker and I checked in on her two weeks later and I said, did you, you know, did your eye doctor give you drops? Did you, you know, are you, how's it going? She said, yeah, he gave me drops and everything's clear. So, mm-hmm. you know, she panicked when she consulted with Dr. Google, but rather than stepping in, as we were just talking about, rather than stepping in with all of these things, you know, iPhone apps and state and slate and stylus and all these other tools that they can use if she'd lost her sight. First, let's just find out if she's going to lose it and, or how bad it might be. And, and let's work from there. Let's let her swallow that first. But it turns out that she took some eye drops and she's better. And then you get somebody like me who lost it very suddenly. You know, 
yes, it was great that I got a referral. My doctor was actually awesome, and they referred me to the CNIB before I even left the hospital, which was fantastic. But on top of that, I needed to come to terms with the grieving process, as we talked about earlier, the grieving process of losing my sight quickly and knowing that life's going to be different and knowing that I have to do things differently, including finding a new job and a new line of work, knowing all of that stuff, I needed that almost in parallel with the any anything I did with CNIB to learn about a magnifier or an iPhone app. I needed the counseling part to come to terms with the fact that my life was going to be different. And I think a lot of our clients, especially the senior clients and, and anybody in any age who loses it suddenly, um, I think that's one of the things that the, the healthcare system needs to do a little bit better job of is not only being aware of CNIB and how it can help, but also getting that other, that parallel thing going with some mm-hmm. counseling, be it from a social worker, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, whatever the person needs and whoever they can get to. You know, the, the one thing I suppose that we, we all say, well, you know, I can do anything I want, but I can't drive. Oh yeah. I went to a go-kart track and because on a go-kart track, everybody's going around presumably in the same direction. Nobody's going to cross in front of you. There's no signs to watch out for. There's no lights to watch out for. Hmm. And I've actually gone out and lapped and beaten my friends. Wow. Wow. So it's not, you know, I'm not just going out there and going slow and kind of just enjoying the day and out for a Sunday drive around this thing. I used to race when I was fully sighted. And I never really lost that skill. So I go out there now with low vision. I do not tell the track owners that I do this. <laughs> I, I what bumper cars would be like. <laughs> oh, bumper cars are a blast. But but this is the thing is I don't, when I'm out there, I, I don't bump into people. I The first time I went to a track here in Calgary, I went to a track and I didn't tell them what I was doing. And I and I went out and I and I raced and they have this thing where they let you go, they sort of get rookies to go slow and they kind of keep you, that's electric cart so they can moderate your speed. And they have me going around at a slow speed for the first few laps. But when I came off, one of the track workers said to me, he says, you've done this before, haven't you? And I said, yes, I have. I've, I've raced hundreds of times. And he said, yeah, it shows. Okay. And hmm. because I wasn't running into people, I wasn't bumping into the barriers, I wasn't doing any of that stuff, I, and I was passing people cleanly and getting around them. And so, you know, it just, it takes two things. It takes the will to want to do it, and it takes the right facility to allow you to have, you know, to, to do what it is that you want to do. Right. Okay. So, yeah, you have to know what you're doing. You can't just jump mm-hmm. in. Because the first time I got behind the wheel of a car in a farmer's field... For some reason, it, it I had never thought, being that I never could see and never mm-hmm. got to drive, I never actually thought about how sensitive the controls in a vehicle could be. So I was surprised when it sped up faster than I thought it would, or when that slight touch of the wheel put me into a turn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it does definitely help if you do kind of know what you're doing. Um, because, you know, you come at it from a different perspective. I've driven, but now my eyes don't work, but I still know how to drive. That's right. And and as far as, you know, when I do these things, um, you know, I do go around slowly uh, the fir- or at a moderate speed, you know, the first maybe lap, maybe two, because I learned the, I learned the path. But once you learn mm-hmm. the path, it's all a memory game at that point. Hmm. And even the fully sighted drivers, the ones who race professionally will tell you they can, they can talk you through a racetrack 
without actually going on it because they know that going into turn one, they need to be over here. Going into turn two, they need to be on this side of the track to get the turn properly. So it's it's all a memory game at that point. So it's, um, you know, with the right conditions, I would say that um, even somebody with less vision than I could, could still do it. We'd like to give a shout out to the staff and volunteers at the CNIB that we've met along the way. Thanks a lot. Tune in next time to see what people, places, or things we've been bumping into. To contact Bumping Into Walls, find us on Twitter at into underscore walls. Or send us an email at bumpingintowalls at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, bumpingintowalls.wordpress.com. Bumping Into Walls is produced, edited, and hosted by Jesse Trigarthen, Anthony Hodges, and Catherine McLeod.